welcome to a very sexy episode of Momhood. Very sexy. It's hump day, you guys. Okay, so ever since we started Momhood, I've always wanted to find a sex therapist, like a sex expert. Let's talk about all the sexy things. Like all of us need to get that that reignition in our body. And so I found this woman, Jana Denton House. She is a desire coach. And so she helps women that feel like they can't get in the mood, get in the mood. She helps partners. Um, I have good friends of mine that went through her program. They told me it was life-changing. So I'm like, oh my God, we have to get this lady on the podcast to hear like, what are some tips? What are some stuff? And so we talked to her and it's nothing I expected. (laughs) I follow this woman on social. I went on her blog and then we interview her. I'm like, huh, what? It's, it's yeah. probably like nothing you've ever heard when you're talking about sex and getting in the mood and foreplay and intimacy. It's the exact opposite of what you'd expect. <laughs> but I have to say, as she explains it, I know I will not be alone. It made all the sense in the world as she was saying why these things should be like this and shouldn't be like this. I don't want to give anything away because I want you to hear the whole thing, but there is one big thing that she recommends everybody does that I started doing in my relationship, and I'm so glad that I did because it really... I don't want to give it away, so yeah. I don't want to, like, talk about it too much. But but there are – she really gets in the psyche of women and why we sort of can put up these almost, like, passive-aggressive or, like, subconscious barriers mm-hmm. that prevent us from getting in the mood and why that happens. And so by doing what she does, by following some of her rules, it allows you to feel more free in certain moments and more safe in other moments and to me that's really the big takeaway because I had never heard anyone describe it that way I've since told three friends and they are doing the exact same thing that I am now which I can't believe so it's like legit it's gonna make sense to you guys yeah and we also talk about sex culture and Mm -hmm. this idea of how powerful it is how it has totally penetrated our homes um, and our minds and the power that it has on our relationships with our partners um it was such an incredible interview. Her program is below, wanting it more. She has helped thousands and thousands of people with this program. She's also doing a takeover for Momhood. Um, and so be on the lookout for that. Start following her now because she gives so much information that will change the way that you have connection with your partner. So I'll just leave yeah, it at that absolutely. because, yeah. Things are about to change because. right now. Things are about to get <laughs> real juicy. Say mom hood. Mom hood. <laughs> oh, Jana, welcome. Man, I'm so excited. We are so excited to have you here. Thanks for being here. It is my absolute pleasure. I'm so thrilled. So, desire coach, how do you even get into a field like that? Well, it was my own journey, my own struggle. So I got married really young. And I always have to say I wasn't in some sort of odd cult or pregnant when I say got married at 17. But I was really, yeah, I got married very young. And sex was just not something I thought that would be the thing that I would struggle with. It was almost like when I had children, I didn't think sleep was the thing I was going to struggle with so much. Yeah. And nobody ever talked about it as being a challenge. And um, 
yeah, I just, I didn't want it. I just didn't really want it. I kind of enjoyed it when, once we got started, but we had this real cyclical. Can I ask, can, can I ask, so as far as getting married at 17, first of all, where are you from? Did it have anything to do with where you were from or what was going on in your town? Or did you just fall in love young? And then secondly, as you're talking about sex, was that the first, your first experience with sex? So was that like, it wasn't just a matter of marriage sex, it was sex in general? Yeah, great question. So it didn't have anything to do with where I was living. I'm from Vancouver Island in Canada, and I think people are pretty like free okay. over here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think my parents had gotten married. My mom had been 17 when she had gotten married. And I just always wanted to get married young. It, it worked out for them. I wanted to have kids young. And I met John, and he's actually six years older than me, which is a huge difference when you're in high school. And it just, it just happened really quickly. And yeah, it was, uh, we're still married 20 years later. So we've worked hard on our marriage, ah. though. Very hard. Yeah, congratulations. Amazing. And so then regarding just sort of sex, meaning, you know, was it, was that your first experience with sex was while you were married? Or was this a consistent theme being, you know, I mean, I know you got married at 17, but, you know, I think I lost my virginity at 16. Yeah. So it can happen younger. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd had other sexual experiences before John, but he was okay. my kind of the first, like, primary partner. Yeah. And I mean, now I've had the opportunity to work with thousands of other women. So I know that I don't have a unique story. It's not really linked to me being married young. And I right. serve women, you know, who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and who are all experiencing the same thing, just feeling like it's a chore, feeling like they're, oh, I just have another need to deal with here. Yeah. It's for my husband, I've lost pleasure, and it just, they don't know how to fix it. They feel broken, but then guilty and resentful at the same time. It's a real confusing mix of emotions. Yeah, yeah. it is. Well, I, I feel like I was so excited for this conversation because I personally know a couple that you completely changed their life. And when I talked to uh, both of them and then the wife, it was just so interesting hearing her say like how everything has been a complete 180. It has not only changed the way that they have sex, enjoy sex, but it's about connection. It's then trickled into communication. It's the way that they co-parent. Uh, they're acting different at work. I mean, this has, it feels like it, it is, you know, people say sex isn't a big deal, but what I am starting to learn as a married woman and hearing her testimony is it's a really big deal. I think it's a big deal because it's where you're the most vulnerable. And so a lot of issues that come up in a relationship or just as a, being a woman in this world as we know, it's very challenging for us. It's going to show up in this area. And we don't live in a culture that is very supportive of women's sexual health. It, we live in a pornified world yeah. with expectations and pressure. There's a total lack of education. We don't know how to set boundaries. We don't even know that we can set boundaries with our bodies. So many women that I serve yeah. just think, well, I'm married, so isn't it all access pass and that will shut down desire 
you know, we get really busy and productive. You ladies talk about that so much on your podcast and how we prioritize other people first. So it's kind of a litmus test to our overall health. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, I was watching the uh, Framing Britney Spears, the New York Times documentary that's on FX and Hulu. And early in the beginning, they really talk a lot about well, they, they don't talk so much about, but they show, which was very alarming to me because I don't remember receiving it this way when I was, you know, she came out when I was in high school. And so I felt very much a part of her rise and all of that stuff and watching it back, looking at the ways in which they punish her for her sexuality. It's this double-edged sword of being, it's the way we value women, yet if you are in control of it and enjoying it, it's worth punishing. That's not okay. Yeah. We can appreciate it, but you can't appreciate it. And there's this very confusing dynamic where it's like, I'm supposed to be really sexual, but only for you. It's, that's our, that's mm -hmm. your special gift. I should not be really sexual or I'm a slut. And I think there's a, there's a deep, it's, it really does ingrain that it's a gift for others and not for yourself. And it happened mm -hmm. so young, it feels like. And, and watching that back really highlighted it. Because I'm like, God, I don't remember that. But as I'm looking at the interviews and the stuff that they're asking her and the way that they're talking to her, I'm like, who the F are you to ask her that? Like, wow. they're asking her if she's a virgin. They're, I mean, I'm like, what is this? You know, it was really illuminating. Once you start to see it, you don't, you can't unsee it. It's everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. we think, oh, yeah. we, you know, no, we're in these safe relationships and we love each other and we're doing fine but once you open your eyes to the cultural messages yes you are not allowed to be too much in your pleasure because then you are a slut mm -hmm. and you can't be not enough in your pleasure because then you're a prude so where right. are we allowed to be and furthermore you highlight such a great point is always performative and I used to find myself performing, putting myself in positions that I didn't find enjoyable with my butt, you know, mm -hmm. butt out and boobs out, you know, because that's what I'd seen on TV. And yeah. it wasn't, I wasn't thinking at all about what actually would feel good for me because I had been fed yeah. a media formula this whole time. So, so in your marriage, there was this, you know, moment or realization when you realized there, you weren't getting what you could be getting out of it. And so how did the transition start? Was it educating yourself just for self uh, growth and then realizing that there could be something more? Did you know off the bat that it was a career you were interested in? Yeah, so this is such a great question. So up, I'd say about the first 10 years of our relationship, I was going along with what the world had me do, which was diagnose myself. I was the one with the problem. Mm -hmm. I had low libido, mm -hmm. I had low sex drive, mm -hmm. so that means I have to go to the counselor and the trauma therapist and look for supplements and get my testosterone tested. And all of these professionals were really happy blaming me. And I just got to a point, mm -hmm. about 10 years in, I had read a book about boundaries. It was called Scream-Free Marriage. And it was the first time that I opened my eyes to the fact that I was not happy and that was not okay. It was not okay that I was continuing wow. to blame myself. 
So I wrote out a script. I was terrified. I was terrified because my husband had really equated sex to how he felt important to me. And so there was a lot of anxious attachment going on with him. And I find this very common with What men. do you mean by that? So if you weren't if you weren't connecting with him, if you weren't sexual with him, engaging in sex acts, it made him not feel valuable? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, wow. and, and this is incredibly common. Um, there, there's so, let me, I'll finish the story and then I'll tell you why it's so common. <laughs> because men are affected too, right? It's not just women who are affected by culture, men are affected as well. So I sat down on the edge of the bed, I had my script, I was terrified, but for the first time, I felt convicted, I felt convicted that I knew that if I was going to continue to force myself to have sex when I didn't want to, everybody was going to lose. I was going to lose, he was going to lose, and I didn't think our marriage was going to continue. It was going to be impossible. So I sat down and I basically said, I love you very, very much but I will no longer have sex unless I really want to. And I didn't know if I was ever going to want to. Oh, that makes me like, by the way, I'm super emotional today. So if I start crying in really random places, please don't. Uh, I mean, I always cry, but today's a special day. Um, For some reason that the thought of that, that you were willing to kind of like, make that claim when you didn't know for sure on the other side what was going to exist that it was so important to you because I think that's the thing right it's the unknowing on the other side of a big decision that keeps us where we are even if where we are isn't good yeah so Mm -hmm. for you to have that courage and that vulnerability and that conviction in the moment to be like (laughs) I mean it (laughs) I mean that is gnarly that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was the closest my husband has ever come to questioning our relationship, I would say. I slept at a friend's house that night, but there was something in me. I knew it was going to be okay. I, I, was, mm-hmm. I wasn't scared. I, was, I had compassion for him. I could see that he was in a lot of pain and confusion, but I couldn't get mixed up in that with him. I had to stand my ground and be firm. And you know, 20 years later, (laughs) he thanks me all the time for that because he couldn't have offered that for me. He didn't know what I needed then to get to where we are now. Right. Well, and it's such a cliche too. Oh, I'm sorry. I I was just gonna say like, and it's such a cliche too, the idea that like, you know, you don't have sex as much when you're married anymore. And you know, the wife doesn't want it. And like that thing, it's like, you almost don't, it's not surprising that he wouldn't have thought that there was some, you know, uh, I don't know, like breakthrough that could happen. It's this stereotype of like, yeah, you know? So that makes sense. Sorry, Brandy, I cut you off. No, no, I was just curious. So where do you go from there? So you sleep at a friend's house he thinks that you don't want to be with him anymore and you're kind of giving him this ultimatum. Mm -hmm. What happened next? Yeah, so I came back to the house the next day and we had pretty little kids at this time. My my daughters are 15 months apart, so it was, I was in the trenches. Um, And so I came home and he was still on the edge, but we got him some help really quick. 
So we had a, I don't know, like kind of energy healer friend. I don't really know how to describe what she did, but we had recognized that he, he was in anxious attachment and there, there might have been some trauma there. And so even though he was pretty certain that I was to blame still at that point, he agreed mm -hmm. to go and get some additional support for his emotions. And mm. after a week of that kind of support, he started to come around to the idea that we could co-create a sex life together and it didn't have to weigh so heavily on his happiness. Oh, I l just love the way that sounds, oh. co-create a sex life together. <laughs> it gives me all the, the shoulder oh movements. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Okay, so so then how what's the first step? How did that start? How did that process start? Where did you start? Yeah, so this is the first step I teach women is to establish safety. Mm -hmm. You have to have safety in order to experience desire. It's impossible to have it. Otherwise, it's performative, it's for him, it's a lot of fear-driven sex. We don't want to have fear-driven sex in our relationships. Mm -hmm. So establish safety through boundaries. What does safety involve? How do you establish? Yeah, yeah. How do you, okay, so through boundaries. So tell us yeah. more about what that means. Okay, like my husband used to slap my butt every time I would walk, walk by. And when I would bend over the kitchen, in the kitchen, or if we were showering together, every time I bent down, it was a, apparently an invitation for him. And I was done with that. Mm -hmm. That's my body. That's not your body. So mm -hmm. creating uh, boundaries around how your body is touched, how your body is looked at. There's so many women who don't like getting dressed, undressed in front of their husbands because they don't feel safe. They feel like it's an invitation. It's not. Mm -hmm. Consent doesn't end with I do. It isn't. So also yeah. how, your, how your body is commented on as well. I, pers I don't like being called sexy. I don't even like being called beautiful. But I love it when my husband says, I'm proud of you. I'll take that any day. Mm. So that's, yeah, boundaries. And then while you're doing that, cultivating compassion for yourself and for your husband. It's not you against him. It's you both against the culture that we live in. I love framing wow. it that way. You know, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, because I wouldn't have ever thought of applying the word safety to those moments. Those like getting, like, cause I'm a, I am a, a absolutely that person where sometimes I'll wait until Mike leaves the room. Cause if I get changed and I'm like, we don't have time for that right now. Like there is no mm -hmm. me taking off my clothes without him making a comment about, yeah, yeah, it's on, it's on. And even if he knows there's not time, he still makes the joke, which then puts me in the position to have to say, I'm leaving. Like, and then I feel like the dick who's saying no. So I, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think everybody listening can relate to even those subtleties of just, you exist in this space together, in this home together where there are varying levels of rawness happening, showers and bathrooms and changing and getting dressed and looking cute and looking schlubby and looking whatever, like, the, the word safety is just not a word I ever would have thought to apply to those moments, but I completely understand it now that you frame it that way. Mm -hmm. Because I do, I get, 
I like stop for a minute and pretend like I'm doing something else until I hear him leave the room if I know that there's just no time for that because I don't want to say no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I know so many women listening right now are thinking of their own experience in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting. So is this something that you do sitting down and it's a conversation where you kind of make your own lists about what is okay, what isn't okay? How did your husband react when you shared with him that, you know, maybe all these years he thought you liked when he squeezed you on the butt and you're like, actually, I don't. So my situation is kind of unique, but maybe not. So I found out about five years after that, that my husband had a pretty raging pornography addiction that I didn't know about. And that's not uncommon. I would say about 85% of the women I serve are in this situation, whether they know about it or not. And I mean, the conversation about porn is a little bit difficult, and I don't have a stance on it, but I 100% see that it decreases women's desire. Because men Mm. who have a porn-affected brain have a very hard time listening to boundaries. So it really wasn't, I kept on, I kept it up, don't slap my butt. I spin around, look him in the eyes, don't do that, I don't like that. He would make a little, you know, comment, a little like, oh, aren't we PMSing today or something, right? But it wasn't until he quit porn and his brain healed that he was able to really respect me and see me and listen to me. So it it took us a little time and I had to have Mm -hmm. a lot of patience with him. Yeah. You know? And so so at what point did, like I want to get to some tools that everyone listening can use. So at what point did these sort of creating new boundaries turn into a shift you felt where desire came or was, is there another step before that started shifting for you? Yeah. Well, what I find is that when women start to feel a hundred percent safe and comfortable in their husband's presence, after about Mm -hmm. a week or two, they realize that they're actually craving touch they want it Mm. and it starts to come back for me in my marriage we still have a dynamic where i initiate most touch we find that when i feel really safe and i don't ever have to say no not right now then we all get more touch and we're all just a lot happier in our relationship so we continue to do it that way i'm quite sensitive too but I think, I don't think I'm that abnormal, actually. I think a lot of women respond incredibly positively to space. In fact, when I run my program, Wanting It More, they don't have sex for four weeks. So we go on a complete reset. And wouldn't you know, around week two, week three, women are starting to ask me, well, what if I want to do it? Can we do it? And I'm like, just hold on, <laughs> calm down. Just enjoy the experience of arousal in your body. We're, as women, I think yeah. when we feel arousal, we're like, okay, great, we gotta hop on that horse and use it, right? Because our husbands have been waiting. And also men, they don't feel in control of their arousal. So if they have an erection, they gotta do something about it. And they're kind of taught that by culture as well. And then women are taught not to tease men, and if you do, you have to take it you know, to the finish line. And, there's so many stories. 
So we schedule sex. Wow. We have it on Saturday or Sunday morning. And we don't have sex unless it's scheduled. So in that way, hmm. I feel... Why is that? Well, I feel free now to play around. I can, we can uh. have a fun little flirt in the kitchen. We can simmer and marinate together. I can touch his penis in the car sneakily in the dark because it's fun. And I don't have to think about what's going to happen in the, in the next day. It's fun. It's playful. It's exciting. And it's completely on my terms. So I feel safe yeah. and comfortable. I so... I so get that. You know what's so funny? And I we've, I think, Brandy, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but, like, I am never more affectionate than right after we have sex because I know we already had sex. Right. So, like, I can do anything, and the ch- and chances are, you know, we just had sex, and we're not going to go and have sex. You know, I mean, maybe, but most of the time, no. So there is this freedom in that yeah. physical touch and that playfulness because – it's like that's already been done and if I don't have the time right now, I don't need the time right now. If I'm not in the headspace right now, I don't need to be in the headspace right now because it's not going to lead anywhere. So that's so funny. Right as you said it with the scheduling, yeah. I'm like, ah. Like my in- initial instinct was like, wah, wah. And now I'm kind of like, ooh. <laughs> I'm sort of into that idea. <laughs> so we started a schedule as well. Yeah. Oh my God, this and is I my favorite. Like- Well, I know. I do like it because going to what you just said, and I don't, again, I'm I'm not even realizing it until you're articulating it, both of you, is that once you feel like, okay, I've done that, then anything else that happens can be fun, can be playful. There's no pressure that I have to say yes. Or if I say no, it's going to be taken, you know, because I feel like men, most men I know are so sensitive. So if you say no, then it's like, you know, I don't know, the yeah. meanest thing you could ever say. And so I do like the idea um, that there's like this, there's something to look forward to. There's this anticipation. Yeah. But for us, it doesn't mean that if we want to other days or, you know, whatever, we can't. I just like that there's that consistency and we get our time together. Yeah. Okay, so is that an integral step in the process? Like if let's say there are, are there steps? And if there are steps, what are they? Like, because to me, that's like, that's a very digestible bit Mm -hmm. that I can already see the value in. So like, what's another thing that you suggest to people you're working with or, you know, how how does it work? Yeah, I I definitely have more steps. But before we move on, I just want to mention one thing about the scheduling. Because a lot of people get it wrong mm-hmm. with scheduling and it actually increases pressure and expectation. And so women are dreading mm-hmm. it all week. That's what happened to me when a counselor suggested doing that. And we did it Friday night. Do not schedule sex Friday night as a mom. <laughs> you are exhausted, you are tired. <laughs> like pick the time that is going to be your most alive time. For me, that's the weekend um, mornings because we have older kids now. Also, if you are feeling nervous and kind of anticipatory anxiety, you lead the experience. So not only are you allowed safety all the time in your life, you're also allowed safety and comfort in the sexual experience. In this way, we have been able to take our sex life from pretty standard foreplay, gropey, gropey, kissy, kissy, touch the genitals, let's try to have an orgasm here, 
to <laughs> so expansive, so sophisticated, so nuanced, so different every time because my sexuality is really just I mean, there's it's unlimited potential. I think women are just unlimited potential. For example, let me give because you might be thinking like she's talking kinky stuff, which is totally fine. You're into that. But I am talking, for example, <laughs> I learned that when I hum at a certain frequency, I feel it in my vulva. And I am able Whoa. to have tremendous waves of pleasure just by laying next to my husband and humming. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I so badly want you to hum for us. I want to know the frequency. <laughs> well, it'll be different for your body. It'll be different. That's incredible. But that's just one. That's just one. And we, I call them exploration dates. So we no longer call them sex. For me, there's too much stuff associated with sex. So we shorten it to XD because ED is erectile dysfunction, and that gets a little confusing. <laughs> so we call it our XDs, and that's what it is. It's about one to two hours of exploration, of curiosity, of just you know, what's it going to be like today? And sometimes orgasms are involved and sometimes they're not. Sometimes penetration is involved. Sometimes they're not. Because why should we, you know, just have some rogue formula that's given to us by, you know, directors and yeah. movies, right? It's so crazy. So, yeah, so that's my little caveat to, uh, you have to schedule it right. <laughs> um, and then yeah. the other paths are, you know, trust your intuition very subtle and that's what will help you move through the exploration date is learning how to connect with your body and listen to it and then prioritize your pleasure we can't talk about sex without talking about pleasure of course and mm -hmm. this is everyday pleasure this is using your five senses to extract or marinate as I like to call it and I think women are in a in a pleasure deficit right now. I certainly was. And it's very yeah. hard to transition from everyday life to the sexual experience if you're going into the sexual experience at a negative 180, right? So you're saying that that's something that women should do every day? <laughs> Explore pleasure within themselves? Does that feel exhausting, Brandy? <laughs> no. <laughs> you're like, every day? <laughs> no, not at all. So, no. like, I, I'm, I'm talking about just even right now, everyone, you can do this, and I'll do it with you, is just find something in your environment that looks pleasurable to you. So I'm looking, I have a turquoise desk in front of me, so I'm just looking at the color of the turquoise, and it's actually a little bit shabby chic, which I kind of like. I can see the whites coming through. And so I can just sit here for just a second while I'm still on a podcast interview and delight in that beautiful color and the texture of the white and the way it's contrasting with the bottom of my monitor, which is this beautiful matte gray. And then my eyes want to wander over to this pencil case I have and it's blue and white striped with these pink sticky notes sticking out of them. I've got a notebook nearby with a lipstick kiss on it for <laughs> preparing to be here 
And then I have your names, Brandy and Oralee, written in turquoise, just to make sure I don't get your names wrong. <laughs> so what about you ladies? Are, is there something in your environment that, that just looks delightful right now? I mean, the first thing I saw was, I've got these linen curtains, which a second ago you might've heard I got up and opened because it was getting dark in here. Um, and it's, they're just like, they're heavy and heavy duty and the light shines through them. And they're so like, they just remind me of like Saturday morning when it's still closed, but the light's coming through and our room is like glowing and it's so relaxing and it just feels like this little cocoon of like calm in the morning. And so these curtains always make me really, just looking at them, make me feel really like at ease. Yeah. I don't know if that's, that's what it. I should be looking at, but that's like the sense I get is just like. <sighs> kind of like that. That's pleasure. Nice. There it is. What about you, Brandy? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this big ginormous pillow that I have on my window seat in front of me, and it's just like this butter soft velvet, and it's kind of like patched together, so it's kind of nostalgic because it reminds me of a quilt, which is comforting and fluffy and um like a really calm color and the lights hitting it and right now it's you know kind of like a 3:30 time frame so it's very yellow in here and like that magic hour and this yeah. is just one sense and just a minute each mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so this is what you can it's do it's funny though it's nothing that i would think i would it's nothing i would connect but the way that you even receive the information makes me feel like I'm being sexy <laughs> like like I don't know if you guys are just listening and not watching the video of this her eyes are closed and she's sort of like swaying and she's listening to us talk like I like feel like I'm speaking dirty to her even though I'm like linen curtains like <laughs> it's such a it's such like a, a cool perspective shift that you could just click into that kind of no matter what which is really cool. Yeah, and then also expect your sexual experience to feel like that. Expect mm -hmm. your sexual experience, if you want it, to feel really nourishing and comfortable and delightful and cozy and velvety and, and warm and soft. I think that I can relate this to like when my husband and I first started dating and we didn't live together, all the late night phone calls. Mm -hmm. And just the way that we were able to use words and the sound of our breath and the cadence of our conversation to like draw us both closer and it just always felt so intimate and exciting and raw and real just with you know words one of my favorite things is to lay on my husband's warm chest and put my ear there and hear him just say my name over and over and over again just Jana, Jana, Jana. Oh, so good. Wow. All right, give us more goods. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so I wanna, I wanna get to because you know this is momhood. So many of our our listeners are moms, and it does feel like a majority of them are still in the trenches. So I wanna ask you, like. So finding time for sex, you know, we've gotten to that point where we are looking forward to it every week, a couple times a week, we have that. Um, but then how do, we, how do we genuinely enjoy the experience? Because um, there's this expectation that 
I mean, even if you're looking forward to it, how do you make that experience something that is mutually beneficial to both people? It's a question I get asked a lot because I teach women to be the leaders of the sexual experience. And at first I do have some men who are like, wait a minute, that's not fair. I want to do X, Y, Z. This should be about <laughs> negotiation, right? I give you oral sex, I receive oral sex. But equity doesn't work that way. Equity is not equality 50-50. Equity is everybody gets what they need to feel safe and comfortable. So when we look at it from that lens, and also from the lens of what is the purpose of sex in your marriage? Is it to have orgasms? Or is it serve a bigger picture? Is it connection, is, which is normally what I hear from people, men and women alike, mm. connection. So in that yeah. sense, I find that after men get over their little mantrum, as my husband calls it, then they start to realize that, oh my gosh, you know what? I have never actually been my, with my wife fully in her pleasure. This is freaking fantastic. I feel yeah. so much more connected, so much more fulfilled and satisfied, and I could do this for the rest of my life. So I hear men say, I am never going back. Well, even just hearing you talking about like this spectrum of desire and pleasure and, you know, we all think sex is one thing, like getting to the finish line, but to be able to expand and allow for it to be millions of different techniques and things and, um, and also the biggest one is connection with your partner. I would imagine that there's just endless possibilities once you can let go of what you think it should look like and really just listen to your intuition, listen to each other and, um, and be on the same page in that way. Yeah, and for the, for, the, for the woman who's listening to this and feeling pretty intimidated, I understand. I've been working mm -hmm. at this for years. And so I just say start really simple. Schedule a time with your husband, say half an hour, and let him know that this isn't sex. It's not gonna lead an orgasm or penetration. You're just learning how to be with his body in a safe and comfortable way and learning how to follow your pleasure. If he's a little mm -hmm. gropey and ha has a hard time relaxing and calming his sexual energy, get him a little distracted. So have him watch a show on his phone or a podcast in his ear, something to just Make sure that you aren't being watched, you know? And have him lay on his back and just place your hand on his chest. He can be closed or not, it doesn't matter. You could be closed or not, it doesn't matter. Whatever you feel comfortable with. And just start to touch his body for your pleasure. This is not something we normally do. We normally touch his body for his pleasure. And so our minds are in how is he feeling? What is this like? Is it intense enough? Am I doing a good job? You are totally out of your body and your pleasure. So focus on the sensations in your hand. So you can start just with placing your chest. Maybe you want to press down a little bit and feel his kind of masculine energy underneath your hand. Or maybe you want to flip it over and feel like what is it like on the back of your hand? Or maybe you want to run your fingers up and down or swirl his 
chest hair in your finger. Maybe you want to smell his chest or his neck. And, and maybe you want to stick your hands in his armpits because they're cold. Or maybe you want to <laughs> look at his hands. I love my husband's hands. They are probably one of the most mm -hmm. attractive features of him. So I love just looking at his huge hands and that real kind of masculine curve of his thumb. I just, I love sometimes I'll just put his hand all in my face and smell his rough skin and I could just do lots with his hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love my, I, you know, I love my husband's hands too, but I know it's because I love seeing that ring finger, that, that wedding ring. Yes. I love it. He never takes it off unless he's working out. But, um, when we're together, I love holding hands. I love seeing that ring. It just means so much to me. We take baths together and we always face each other. And I'm like, I love that ring. I love how like big, like it's just so noticeable. Like you're married, you're mine. I love that ring. Let's just always hold hands because we're connected. Um, but I am getting it. I'm understanding like this is for me. And I do that sometimes. I'm also very early in my marriage. I feel like it's been five years. So I definitely still am like, I need you for something and I'm going to get what I need out of you really quick. And sometimes it's like, I just really need to like squeeze your hair and pull your hair. And um. <laughs> for, for women that are listening, that feel like they'd love to get, they'd love to start to open this conversation, uh, but they have no idea how, because, you know, maybe they're not talking, like you're saying, like a lot of women are just dealing and their husband might not know that there is this underlying thing. And, and it's not the easiest conversation to bring up out of the blue. So can you give any advice on maybe like verbiage or ways to say it that is delicate enough that it's not going yeah. to hurt or offend but is gonna start the conversation or I mean right. any way in yeah absolutely and I, I I love the male brain I've done so much study and learning and I really I really have a lot of compassion for men and their common misinterpretations or interpretation stories about what they hear from their wives. And yes, one of the common one is rejection. So I walk a fine balance here where yes, we do want to be communicating in the best way possible with the male brain, right? But at the same time, we have to be pretty clear that our safety and comfort and pleasure is just as important. So yeah. I find women will put off this conversation. I mean, yeah. I've had women who experience tremendous amounts of pain, who have never had an orgasm, who dread every single sexual experience, and yet they force themselves to do it three times a week. So that's okay. Oh. I mean, 15 years into a marriage, 16 years into a marriage. So I would say, if you're in that situation, do not worry about hurting his feelings or crafting some perfect statement for him. The most critical thing you can do is just say it. Be blunt, be loud, and be convicted. Now, that being said, I can give you a little strategy, okay? <laughs> okay. So the strategy is that because men will have that default interpretation of, uh, well, there's this rejection, but then there's also this, I've done something wrong. So it, mm -hmm. it almost feels like going through life is like one big job interview for men. 
no matter how hard I try, I can never please you. I can never make you oh happy. Oh my gosh, yes. I think so many people are nodding their heads right now listening to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you can see it, right? How we contribute to that in our relationships. I do it all the time. Ah, oh, you know, could you really just clean out the garage? Could you really just do this? Could you just parent differently? Could you just be better human? Could you just be a woman, please, so I can relate to you oh better? Oh my gosh, been there. Like, I don't know why women marry men. <laughs> like, my best friend understands me better than you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think I think to, to Orly's point, like, how do you bring it? I, I know you just said be blunt and be strong in your convictions. I guess my worry would be it instigates a fight. Right. Like, how do you really explain that this is from a place of I want us to get better, I want us to do better, I want us to, um, for us to both be enjoying this experience? Or what do you tell those women that have been married 16 years and are scared? Yeah, so, so first off, the idea is to help him understand that it's not about him that he hasn't done anything yeah. wrong, that you're not blaming him, you're not, you're not holding him responsible for your feelings of unsafety or discomfort. That you are both in a culture that has miseducated you. Mm. Now, if your husband is able to hear that or not, that's another question. But you can do your best mm-hmm. to say, this is not about mm-hmm. you. Yeah. yeah, men will make the yeah, wrong. Yeah, I feel like saying, Go ahead. Sorry. I say I feel like saying something like, you know, lack of safety. I feel like that would be a scary word to to I like like we after having this conversation now, you know, 30 or so minutes in, I understand what that word means and how it plays in this dynamic, but I feel like if I said something like that to my husband, like I mean alarm bells would go off. Like what do you mean you don't feel safe mm-hmm. around me? Are you what like it would feel like predatorial like I was accusing like that's a word that I think I would I wouldn't feel comfortable using yeah like I would need to come up with another word I'd need to come up with another something because I think that that would elicit a response that I don't know I could ever pull us back from exactly Mm -hmm. that's why yeah I teach women to use the word uncomfortable it's a softer word yeah because men actually don't have that that experience of unsafe so for example we can all relate to being in a dark parking garage and looking around and maybe holding our keys a certain way and even having visualizations of dark men jumping out and violating us Mm -hmm. ask your husband the last time he ever felt unsafe he, he won't yeah. have an answer for right. you. So it's an experience he cannot relate to. And that's, his not, that's not his fault, right? So yeah, uncomfortable. Also, okay. you don't have to focus on the previous 16 years and how hellish it's been. You can focus <laughs> on the future. You know, like, yeah. I have just discovered that I haven't been really listening to my body and what it's okay with and what it's not okay with because I've been told by culture that I shouldn't really do that. Moving forward, I just want to make sure that we're both really clear about what's going to make me feel drawn to you and excited to be around you and what make me maybe will yeah. make me 
pull away from you because I know you want me to be like come here hot stuff let me ravage your body right yeah so yeah. frame yeah. it in that way yeah, I, even I like, like that the idea. idea of of like let's have a sexual exploration date you know and like this idea that I don't know like we're, we're going to try something new and it doesn't necessarily mean x y and z even just that like babe I have this idea you know tomorrow night I want to try something. I think that that is even a way to just like start a new chapter as opposed to talking about the past. Yeah. But again, we can't skirt around it too much. At some point you do have the human right, (laughs) right? As a human being and and having bodily autonomy to say, this Mm -hmm. is what I like and this is not what I Mm -hmm. like. And you can be compassionate but you still have to do it at some point. So have you generally found that with most couples you work with, women specifically, that one of the key factors that starts to create that true innate desire coming from the inside out is creating those boundaries and that autonomy and pulling back for a minute and creating that scheduled time to to further emphasize those boundaries and that safety and that space and that playfulness that once that all starts getting into place, the rest really comes to life. You got it. That's it. <laughs> that's really in, that's really interesting. It's it's really not at all what I would have expected the yeah. like formula to be if if that's even a word that makes sense here. Like it is that is not anywhere if you would have told me what we were going to talk about today, I wouldn't have said a single one of those things. <laughs> like it is it is fascinating to me, but as you're saying it it really does make a lot of sense. It's just you know, you've, I don't know, it's so not how I would have, which yeah. is why as you were talking, I was like, okay, so like, now what? You know, it was like, the thought that it could potentially be that simple, that that's a reframe, and you from the inside out completely start transforming is exciting. It's I mean, that's so a really ex- cool. What I find is that when women are in the right environment of safety, mm-hmm. acceptance, no pressure, that's when the magic happens. I thought Okay, I want to get into I want to get into the magic. <laughs> <laughs> like I I really thought that I wasn't capable of sexual feelings. It took me about a year yeah. to have an orgasm and even then it was like just vibrator and clit. Like let's just get this done here. And yeah. even mm-hmm. then I would have the vaginal contractions and all that, but it wasn't felt fulfilling. It wasn't something that I looked forward to again. I, I, I was repulsed by my husband's penis. And mm-hmm. I thought, maybe I'm just kind of asexual. Maybe I just have nothing. Maybe I'm just, and I spent years thinking that. So wow. this, is, this is a big deal. This is huge discovery that the women that we think have low desire or low libido, they don't have low mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Is there a, a, how important or, or is it important at all, masturbation plays in that process? Oh, yeah. Connect- you know, I think of it as like, like teaching yourself. Is it about teaching yourself so you can teach? Is it just about pure pleasure and enjoyment? Is it, con- you know, how, what's the role as you see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even taking a step back back from that it's what is the relationship that you have with your body 
And what I find is a lot of women's relationships with their bodies are kind of estranged. There's so many reasons for this, right? Because our bodies have been used and objectified. Maybe we have unexplained pain through menstruation or childbirth. Maybe we've gained weight and we feel like our body has mm -hmm. not worked with us because our cultural value is through our thinness and our beauty, right? So there can be so many barriers to that. So the first step is to just just open up the conversation just briefly. You know, just send out send out the little first message. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? And then start listening. That's like this kind of conversation? Yeah, just like <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm like I'm like, should I be talking to myself or talking to myself? <laughs> yes, yes. But even Got even it. starting okay. in in the sphere of when you need to pee, I'll 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 let you pee when you're thirsty. I'll give you water. When you need to move, let's move. Just the basic level, right? And then, yes, mm. it's so important to take that a next step in your relationship with your vulva. The first time I saw my vulva was, the, it was my first pregnancy, my first delivery, and my midwife brought out the big mirror and she's like, okay, Jana, you have a few stitches and you need to see these stitches so that you can understand where they are in your body. My vulva was not in the best condition right after a birth <laughs> and being stitched up. Yeah. Right? That was my first introduction to a place of my body that potentially holds so much pleasure. So it's really in indicative of the relationship a lot of women have with that area. It's kind of a functional mm -hmm. relationship. There's pee comes out, penises right. go in, babies come out, and I have to kind of wash her once in a while. Maybe do some painful um, ripping of pubic hair as well. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I paint a delightful oh, so picture. <laughs> it's a little grim. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, our poor vulva. <laughs> okay, but it gets better. Okay, but it's so true. It's so true. If you've never, if you, um, you know, especially thinking back to like when you're a little girl, if you don't know even where it is or what its uses are, when do you ever discover that? Usually, when you're about to have a baby. Yeah, right? So everybody oh listening, Orly and Brandy included, I encourage you to take out a mirror, mm -hmm. to lock the door, to get a little bit of lube. I happen to have some on my desk. <laughs> Don't ask me why. <laughs> I would, I, Wait, what, which, what, which one is it? We need to know which one you prefer. I've I never actually, seen one in a little pot. I've worked with somebody local to develop one for my clients, and it's jojoba oil oh, and shea butter. Of course you did. <laughs> jojoba can oil. Can you buy it? Um, yeah, you can pour it. My, my, my clients are putting in an order right now, and I was just doing oh, a good. Facebook Live. So we can live. put the link? Uh, Yes. Can we put the link down below? Like it, it's purchasable for everybody? We could do that. It's a local woman and she's just getting started. So we could try. Okay. We could try, but maybe in the future okay. we'll talk. I mean, we'll we talk. could at least have them have them reach out to you. Okay. Yes. Well, I have yeah. those things not on my desk, but I have I have a variety of options. And okay. then a little a Next. little uh, <laughs> essential oil is nice. This one is a very light citrus smell. I mean, it smells like sex to me because that's what my sex smells like, quite honestly. 
but it smells so good. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, I love that. Oh my gosh. Her sex smells like grapefruit and orange. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So make sure you have make sure you have some oil or some some don't use store-bought lubricant. Please don't. That stuff's awful. Mm-hmm. Just anything that you can eat that's uh, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Organic, right? Therapeutic. Natural, Na- yeah. yeah. Like good, good, good quality wine. Treat your vulva well. Coconut oil is great. Or almond or apricot or all sorts of oils. And then just look at your vulva in a mirror and just... You may have feelings, some shame, maybe pop up, maybe like, ooh, you look different than I thought, or maybe you have a prolapse, a lot of women do, and maybe that's a little scary for you, or just allow yourself to feel whatever you feel. You don't, this doesn't have to be a magical meetup the first time, right? She may have aged a little bit since you last saw her, and that's okay. And just start to get familiar with the different parts of your body. And I like to use the frame of awe. I like awe, like, wow, look at that. There it was the whole time. I had a client once Mm -hmm. who did this, and then she said, and then I went grocery shopping with my vulva. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked around at all the other women and they were grocery shopping with their vulvas too. <laughs> oh my God, that is so funny. I mean, I will tell you even right now, I'm like very aware yeah. of my, I keep wanting to say vagina. I know that that's not what we're supposed to say. I know we're supposed to say vulva, but we've been so trained to say vagina. Like I feel so aware, you know, like I can like, me too. Feel, like, I don't know how to describe yeah, she's it. She's tingling. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing just, kegels right now, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just talking about, just talking about it, talking about that part of your body puts it on your, it registers it in your brain, and you can like actually isolate and feel, yeah. like it's you know it's it's a it's so funny though. Go food shopping. I went supermarket with my vulva. And the and your and vulvas, I find really enjoy compliments. That's what I found. So when I, Uh, and this is a little next level. So if some of you are listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, Jenna, this is a bit much. Like I've worked up to this part, but even when you see your vulva get aroused a little bit, it changes completely. We have the same amount of erectile, erectile tissue as men, the same. So you'll see your labia will swell, you'll darken in color. Your clitoris will go under the clitoral hood. It's f- you'll see your clitoral bulb swell underneath your labia. It's just, it's just miraculous. It's just a wonder. And at what point, or at, at what point would it sort of evolve from looking and exploring in the mirror and that experience to what I think we all consider more like masturbation? Is that a part, the next step in this sort of puzzle? Yeah, I love that you asked that question because it just highlights how conditioned we all are for the next Mm -hmm. step. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like, that's all nice and good. Yeah, Jana, give your vulva compliments and whatnot. But when are we going to actually move on here? When are we going to get to the real 
you know, the, you, you circle around your clitoris and it gets more and more and you're, you're breathing and you're contracting and maybe you use a vibrator or something to insert. And then you have the vaginal contractions and then, oh, oh, it's all so good and amazing. And then it freaking counts. We're going to stop that now. So instead of putting that pressure on your vulva to perform in a certain way and for the orgasm to end the experience, then you should just set a timer because then that will allow you to relax, to not worry when are you going to get that aroused, more intense feeling and just accept her for whatever she wants to do in that moment. I guess, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised that that's your answer because it's almost like it's the same uh, dynamic as with our husbands. Like, the expectation, the feeling you must perform. Like, it's like us, even when there's someone, there's no one else putting it on us, we are now putting it on ourselves that this, that this moment, this experience is about one thing happening and happening a very specific way. Um, and removing all of those confines, whether it's when we're alone or when we're with someone, is really, seems to be kind of the key of that, freedom and I want everyone to know that there are huge historical reasons we feel this way Mm -hmm. just even going back to for example this feeling like an orgasm is only legitimate if through penetration a clitoral orgasm is not as valid as a internal orgasm which is fy just the internal aspect of the clitoris but because we've been taught the almighty penis should be the one to give women orgasms it has been the one really Mm -hmm. you know when i do surveys the the most question i get asked is how can i stop having clitoral orgasms and have vaginal orgasms so actually freud diagnosed this he said if you have clitoral orgasms it's actually an immature form of sex uh, human uh, female sexuality so there are really deep so freud the um uh, founder of psychoanalysis he diagnosed women and said if you have a clitoral orgasm then it is a form of uh, female kind of an immature form of female sexuality. He diagnosed it. If you needed to... (laughs) Incorrectly? Like... Yes. Like, that's just... Like, so that's where some of this began? Meaning, like... Exactly. Okay, got it. Exactly. So I just want women... Have you, Freud? Well, yes. Yes, it was uh, (laughs) diagnosed. And here's the wild thing. Then they started diagnosing women with um, hysteria which was, oh, it was just, just, it's just such a nightmare if you start looking into the history of it. And then the diagnosis for this was actually male doctors giving women orgasms and a vibrator was invented because the poor male doctor's hands got really tired. It's so messed up. Oh my gosh. It's so messed up. And so, and even when you look at trauma for example we know we now know that through epigenetics trauma can be passed on through your dna so mm-hmm. we're all we're all dealing with a lot as women that's that's i don't want to get too dark here 
but there is gaslighting happening and I want to make sure that women's eyes are opened and they see that Mm -hmm. it's not their fault how can we start this conversation in our homes with our daughters oh good question Brandy I have an 11 and 12 year old so we are deep into this conversation so the conversation Mm -hmm. started with consent so we are very careful Mm -hmm. if they say stop tickling me we're very very open okay your body and we'll verbalize it your body your decision if they're saying that to each other like stop stop you know uh, I don't know what they do, like pounding on me or something. They don't pound on each other. I yeah. just can't think of it. Wrestling of or whatever. Yeah. Wrestling or sitting on each other's heads. You know, we're very clear that you have, you have consent over your body. Telling girls that they have a clitoris is really important. That sex is for At pleasure. What age? Uh, right, right. Head and shoulders. <laughs> Vulva clitoris, knees and really? toes. Oh, yeah. Why not? So I have a daughter who's five. I oh, should be talking yes. about this? Oh, yes. Mommy, mommy, when I touch this part of me, it tingles. Oh, yeah, sweetheart. That's because you have a clitoris. It feels good, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kids will start to wow. explore their bodies because it feels interesting and they're curious. Yeah. And we want to not attach any shame to that and also give them the right words to know how to uh, label them and talk about them but there have been studies shown that if girls this was a university student um, university students I think it was in the Netherlands and America and they looked at the differences and the um, the negative sexual experiences that both groups were having and they determined that the University student girls or women in America were having more negative sexual experiences, right? Teen pregnancies, STIs, date rape, those sorts of things than the the girls in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. Both of these groups were being taught the negative uh, potentials, uh, the consequences of having sex, okay? Pregnancy, STIs, whatnot. The difference was what the girls in the Netherlands were being taught was pleasure. When you teach your girls mm. about pleasure, they, that's what they're going to expect from the sexual experience. But what do we teach girls about? Pain. The first yeah. time you have sex should be, and you can expect it to be, painful. What? No, we don't mm. do that. It's not necessary. There's no necessary pain or bleeding for the first time. So yeah, talk to your girls about pleasure and consent. Yeah, I definitely think it's important to talk to our girls about just body parts and knowing the correct names and knowing consent. And I 100% think it should start young. We started talking about body parts at two years old. Um, And yeah, any questions that are answered. And I feel like a lot of my girlfriends that have kids um, that are a little older than my daughter said that like right around three or four, they started exploring and asking questions and so yeah I think I think that this is great that you do start young so that they know their body and they and we're teaching them I mean we're their mothers we should be the first person that they can talk to and confide in yeah Yeah, I'm often asked hey Jenna when are you going to do a course about talking to kids about sex and I don't think I ever will because my philosophy is if we can heal the mom 
if she can come out of shame and into pleasure, then she is going to approach this topic with so much more openness, with so much more yeah. excitement in her voice. And she's going to be just so much more open to answer those questions and, and explore and, and say, hey, like, you want a mirror? It's, it's interesting to look down there. And, and whatever the child responds, it's like, okay, whatever, it's your body, but here's an opportunity for you. So the whole environment shifts in the home. So um, I, if you don't mind, I want to just ask a little bit more in depth on that conversation because I'm actually trying to figure out what, literally, what would I say to my daughter? Like, what are, what's too far? What's suggesting that she does things she doesn't want to do? What's telling her it's okay? Like, what are, for example, for a five-year-old, because I feel like we probably have a lot of moms listening going like, okay, I should, but like, what, what should I be saying other than it's for pleasure too? Like, so, so let's say we show them, we can give a mirror, we can show them their body so they can get comfortable with their body. But is there a conversation about where those pleasure senses are, how they can experience, like, I'm a little stifled on what actually is supposed to come out of my mouth. I think the overarching theme is normalizing. We're just normalizing a functioning body. Just like if they had an earache, oh, let's look in your ear and figure this out. If their vulva was itchy, oh, let's figure that out for you. If they said, mama, this feels really tingly, you'd say, oh yeah, that's because of this. So you're just normalizing, mm -hmm. answering their questions, and, uh, and you yourself working on that uh, feeling of comfort with your own body. Like just for example, this isn't about sex, but just with menstruation, for example, I fought the desire to hide it from my girls because I thought they shouldn't see me, you know, putting my cup in and out or my tampon in and out. That's, mm -hmm. but they see me, they were kind of wandering into the bathroom anyways and I'm on the toilet. So I just made a conscious decision to go about my normal menstrual activities with them in the room. Like it was just, I was just normally taking it out, rinsing it in, washing my hands, putting, mm -hmm. inserting it back in. And they could watch if they wanted to and ask questions if they wanted to. But I was just a sophisticated, mature woman just going about my business. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And that's right. not to say that I'm going to masturbate in front of them, but I don't hide things from them. So for example, this lube that I just have happened to be on my desk, like this is not often like hidden away somewhere. Now, I'm not displaying it for them, but I'm not hiding it. So if I have a vibrator in my yeah. side drawer, it's not locked. Sometimes, or I have a mirror in my side drawer too, because looking at my vulva is often part of my sexual experience because it's so beautiful and delightful. Um, so I'm not gonna hide that. And, and once they did, they you know took out the, the vibrator I had and it said, what's this, mom? So I took a deep breath. And I told them that it was a massager. They wanted to know what it was for. I said, it's for my vagina. It's a massager for my vagina. Mom, that's disgusting. Ew, don't gross, you know. But I'm just, that's the fact. I just told them the fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like going back to facts and science. Um, my two-year-old watched me deliver my now 18-month-old at the birth center. And so she went to every appointment, and so she got to see everything. And um, 
and was just a part of it. And so many people just didn't understand. I said, it's science. I'm just, I'm just educating. And I had a very similar experience to you um, during my, you know, menstrual cycle. And she was like, oh, mom's on her motorcycle. Her, you know, she walked around and, but yeah, that I had that teaching moment and I kind of was like, oh my God, this is so cool that like she's three. And I, I, you know, as best as I could told her what a menstrual cycle was and she saw all of the stuff and that was it. And then um, I had said something, she's like, oh, is it for your menstrual cycle? And I was like, oh yeah, it is. And it almost was like, wow, that's so cool that like, I don't have to wait until, oh my God, when she's about to hit puberty and what am I gonna say? And I'm gonna have to teach her how to put a tampon in or a cup in. Um, it's just a way of life. It's it. This is life. This is how women have baby. You know, that's what we talked about because of Sunny. And um, yeah, there there yeah. was definitely that feeling of this feels right, and I feel good about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh it's just really interesting. The whole I appreciate so much everything you're sharing because I feel like it really is just a reframe. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a it's it's not. Uh, it will be a transformation, but really it's just a like click to the side, reframe, look at it through another lens and everything, everything does transform, but it's not throwing your life upside down. Um, so I really, really, I just so appreciate you being here with us, sharing all this information, sharing your personal your personal stories is really, it really helps clarify all of these things and makes me feel so comfortable because it's, it's all of your personal journeys that have taught you this. And I just can't thank you enough for, for coming on here and sharing this with us. My gosh. It's my, it's my absolute pleasure. This is my, this is my mission and this is my passion. So the more I can spread this message, I am just delighted. So thank you for, for taking the trust, you know, to have a, have an episode about sex. You probably, you didn't know what you were getting into. So (laughs) good job. Yeah. <laughs> Can you leave us with one one message that you want our listeners to know that saw the title of this, they read your bio, they may may have had like all these ideas about what this episode would be. What is one thing you want them to remember um, about you and your work and about their bodies and about desire? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, what is the legacy you want to leave behind? Is is really what I I guess I'd like to know yeah well the the legacy is that you as a woman have the right to feel safe and comfortable and fully pleasured a hundred percent of the time no exceptions fuck yes (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh so good Jana, will you please give to everybody um, your social handles and the website? As always, you guys, it's linked below. But if you're just listening and you want to remember to search this real quick, can you share that for us? Absolutely. So I'm Jana Denton House on both Instagram and Facebook. No hyphen, just straight up. And JanaDentonHouse.com. And I do have a free quiz on my website you can take. Mm. And that'll give you some custom advice depending on which desire fix you get from that beautiful okay so that will be sure to be linked below guys if this was your first episode of momhood i hope that you will subscribe to the show 
if you can leave us a five-star rating and write a review about what it was about this episode that drew you in, what you loved about it. That's just invaluable information for people searching and trying to figure out if Momhood might be a show that they want to give a shot to. It also helps the podcast track, which is really, really hugely helpful. Um, we are always active on Instagram, so at Momhood Show. If you guys want to either screenshot your phone right now and tag us, tag Jana, let us know what you liked about this episode. We will reshare it. We are all up in the DMs listening to what you have to say. And then lastly, we do have a private Facebook page, which is such a riot and so fun. And that's just you search Momhood on Facebook and you'll find us. Thank you.